0: Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, July 1st. In today's news, a Republican congressman goes down in a primary to a woman who believes in the QAnon conspiracy theory. Tony Fauci warns that America may soon wind up with 100,000 new coronavirus cases every day. And folks who got their jobs back after being laid off in March are losing them again. But first, the big idea. White House officials were first informed back in early 2019, nearly a year and a half ago, of intelligence reports that Russia was offering bounties to Taliban-linked militants to kill U.S. and coalition military personnel in Afghanistan. At the time, the information was deemed sketchy and in need of additional confirmation. Several discussions were held with members of the National Security Council staff on the reports back then, which had been flagged as potentially significant and came amid growing tensions between Russia and the United States. Instructions were given to the intelligence community and the U.S. Central Command to find out more about the reports before proposing any action be taken. Then, in February of this year, after discoveries of militant cash flows and the interrogation of prisoners in Afghanistan, information again made its way to the NSC, In late March, after a restricted high-level meeting in the White House, the CIA was tasked with assessing it. CIA analysts determined that the information was credible and showed a Russian plot to kill American and coalition forces. Current and former government officials tell my colleagues on the National Security and Intelligence Beats, Karen DeYoung, Shane Harris, Ellen Nakashima, and Karim Demirjian, that there was a significant amount of intelligence and that it left little doubt among those examining it, that Russia was targeting American troops. The National Security Agency, which examines intercepted communications, took a more skeptical view of the new information and the credibility of the underlying sources. But folks on the inside say the disagreements between analysts at the NSA and the CIA are being overstated by Trump administration officials in an effort to create an excuse for the president's failure to lead. Intelligence provided by captured Afghan militants suggests that this bounty operation to kill our troops was in existence as far back as 2018. Analysts across the intelligence community believe that the bounties probably resulted in the deaths of three Marines killed in April 2019 when the vehicle they were traveling in was blown up just outside of Bagram, our main airbase in Afghanistan while numerous intelligence and former government officials have said that such reports would normally have reached the highest levels of government, including the president. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany said yesterday that President Trump is briefed only, quote, when there is a strategic decision to be made. Indeed, several people familiar with the matter told our reporters that information is sometimes withheld from Trump, who often reacts badly to reports that he thinks might undermine what he considers his good relationship with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Russia's military intelligence agency, the GRU, which U.S. officials say ran the bounty program, was known to have been given a relatively free hand to engage in operations to rattle the Americans. The New York Times reports that Trump's people withheld other key intelligence from congressional Republicans when they briefed them earlier this week. For example, American officials intercepted electronic data showing large financial transfers from a bank account controlled by the GRU to a Taliban-linked account. The Times says that U.S. investigators also were able to identify by name numerous Afghans in a network linked to the Kremlin's suspected operation to murder RGIs. These disclosures further undercut White House officials' claims that the intelligence was too uncertain to brief Trump, and it was not shared with Republicans. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who spoke on Monday with the chief Taliban negotiator about the Trump administration's ongoing peace talks with the Taliban, tweeted that he pressed the militants to, quote, live up to their commitments, including not to attack Americans. The strategic goal of the Kremlin here was to get America out of Afghanistan. And this president remains determined to make that happen before the election. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this hump day. Number one, Lauren Boebert won a big upset last night in a Republican primary in Colorado, defeating five-term Congressman Scott Tipton, a member of the Tea Party class of 2010 who had Trump's endorsement. Bobert, who has flirted with the fringe QAnon conspiracy theory, is now favored to get elected to Congress in the November election against Diane Mitch Bush, a former Democratic state legislator who ran against Tipton in 2018 and won the party's nomination handily yesterday. Trump won that district by 12 points back in 2016. Bobert, a gun rights activist, owns Shooter's Grill in Rifle, Colorado, where the staff carries their weapons as they serve customers. You can order a guac 9 burger or a turkey ham Uzi melt. She went viral last year after driving several hours to confront Beto O'Rourke at a campaign stop where she yelled at him that he'll never take away her AR-15. Boebert is among a handful of Republican congressional candidates who have toyed openly with the fringe QAnon conspiracy theory that a secret government official named Q is revealing a corrupt deep state that Trump is fighting against to save the country. More recently, she has defied her state's coronavirus restrictions and refused to ever close her restaurant to dine-in patrons, forcing county officials to obtain a cease and desist letter from a district judge to shut her down. She ran against Tipton from the far right, accusing the very conservative lawmaker of siding with liberals like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez by voting for coronavirus relief bills. The other members of Congress who have lost primaries this year are Denver Riggleman in Virginia, he lost a Republican convention primary because he officiated a gay wedding for two former campaign volunteers. Steve King, who lost a primary in Iowa after making a series of racist comments. And Dan Lipinski in Illinois, who lost a Democratic primary because he opposes abortion rights. New York Democratic representatives Elliot Engel and Carolyn Maloney are still waiting for mail-in ballots to be counted to know their fates. Both are in contests that remain too close for the Associated press to call even eight days after their primary. Former middle school principal Jamal Bowman has declared victory over Engel, but Engel, who's the chairman of the House of Foreign Affairs Committee, has not conceded. Number two, Tony Fauci, our country's top infectious disease expert, fears that the United States could soon reach 100,000 new daily cases If trends don't reverse quickly, that surge of the coronavirus would be more than twice as many as the record so far and three times as many as at the original peak this spring. Roughly 2.6 million infections have now been confirmed in the country. New infections topped 40,000 again yesterday, as they have in four of the past five days, forcing shaken states to pull back from reopening. Fauci gave this bleak assessment in response to questions during his latest appearance on Capitol Hill to brief lawmakers as new infections run rampant across the Sun Belt, with hospitalizations now escalating every day in a dozen states. Fauci and other officials acknowledged that the nation's public health system was ill-prepared for a major outbreak like this, and the Republican chairman of the Senate Health Committee, Lamar Alexander, the Republican from Tennessee, called on Trump to start heeding federal guidance to wear a mask in public. Bob Redfield, the director of the CDC, acknowledged that the government's ability to trace the contacts of people infected by the virus has been hampered by outdated public health data systems. Fauci said that half of all new cases are being recorded in just four states, three of them, Arizona, Texas and Florida, are led by Republican governors who moved quickly after being urged to do so by Trump to reopen their economies, but have since begun closing bars and beaches. In Florida, where cases are really surging, more than 100% in the last week, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, who has ordered people in his city to wear masks in public, said a statewide policy should be a no-brainer, but Governor Ron DeSantis refuses. In the fourth state with a big increase in cases, California Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, has taken a more cautious approach, imposing the country's first statewide stay-at-home order back on March 19th. But now nearly three in four Californians live in counties, have been ordered to reverse their economic reopening. They also are expecting additional state regulations from Newsom unless infections flatten out. Number three, with all these reopenings on hold, workers are getting laid off for a second time. Millions of Americans are suffering from a form of economic whiplash. They thought they were finally returning to work only to be sent home again because of the latest surge in cases. Stores, restaurants, gyms, and other businesses that reopened a few weeks ago are shuttering again with new pink slips. This time, many workers say they're even on shakier financial ground as they topple into yet another period without a job. And there's also new data out this morning that shows wages are down. A lot of people who haven't gotten laid off are getting fewer hours, and they're getting paid less. This is even affecting white-collar jobs like lawyers. And Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell testified yesterday before the House that the economy's path ahead remains extraordinarily uncertain. He said more stimulus will probably be needed. At the same hearing, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin presented a quite rosy picture of the ground truth, but he also suggested that the administration will support direct financial bailouts for the hotel industry in the next stimulus package. Talks are expected to start after Congress returns from its two-week recess for the July 4th holiday. And despite all this unsettling news, stocks yesterday closed out their best quarter since 1998, clawing back most of their losses from the first quarter. Equity prices feel bizarrely and increasingly detached from what life is like now for most folks. The contagion is taking a toll in other ways, too. Americans are buying clothes in bigger sizes because they can't seem to escape what is being referred to as the COVID-15. The Wall Street Journal notes today that Google... Searches for elastic waist have spiked in recent weeks, and body measuring apps are reporting a jump in people choosing looser fits. It's a result of the months of stay at home orders, which make it easier to snack all day. There's been a lot of stress eating, and gyms are closed. Obviously, this is a dark hour for our country in so many ways, but I want to close today with a story that gives me some hope that tomorrow will be better than yesterday. Nine year old Michaela Munyan in Oakland Township, Michigan has sewn more than 500 masks during this pandemic and given them all away for free. To nurses, to a local home health agency, to the pastors at her church, even the delivery man at her favorite pizza place got one. In March, when the coronavirus forced her school to close, Michaela overheard her mom and dad talking one night about the shortage of personal protective equipment at a hospital. She spoke up to say that she wanted to help and she knew how to sew. Her mom helped her find a pattern online, and she got to work. She hasn't stopped. Her hairless cat, Minerva, provides quality control and can often be found perched atop the sewing machine. Well, she works. As the number of confirmed coronavirus cases in Michigan nears 70,000, Michaela received a much-anticipated package in the mail the other day. The new sewing machine that she ordered more than a month ago, using birthday money and other cash that she had saved up, finally arrived. That allowed her to retire the temperamental old model that her mom had received from her own grandmother as a teenager. is already putting it to good use. She tells my colleague Scott Allen that it's way, way quieter and much easier to thread. It sounds trite, I know, but it's true. There is nothing, nothing wrong with America that cannot be fixed by what is right with America. The kids are all right. And that's... The Daily 202 for Wednesday, July 1st. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow.